welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. All right. Okay, I'm ready to get started. Uh, my name is Joe. I'm a recovering sexaholic. We start with the uh, moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer. Serenity prayer. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Uh, this uh, session is, uh, I'll keep coming back, and I know a lot about that, because um, I left a lot. Um, like I said, my name is Joe, a sexaholic, been sober since November 19th, uh, 2001. Get that door, Bobby. And um, I came to my first meeting um, in June of 1991 um, out at the Christ Press. I'll never forget some of the people who are speaking today were there. I think David M. was there. Um, I've known these folks for a long time. I just didn't really want to do what they were doing. Uh, I wanted the easier, softer way. And um, but the thing that kid did right. The only thing I may have done right was I kept coming back. And that's what I want to share with you a little bit about today. Um, and I want to talk about maybe slipping and, and, and what, what I went through. And then I'm just going to do a lead, and this is going to be an open meeting. This is a tape meeting, so uh, just be aware of that, that it is tape. You're going to have to come up here when uh, to speak. Uh, just get close to the microphone if you would. Uh, after I uh, grew up in a family that you've heard a lot about today, a uh, very similar alcoholic uh, father, uh, and dysfunctional, crazy, but that's not why I'm a sexaholic. Uh, uh, I would have probably chosen this no matter what, because I didn't make the choice. And uh, I thought marriage would fix me. Uh, I got married and it didn't fix me. 17 years after, after 17 years of m- masturbation, massage parlors, prostitution, uh, escalating through escort services. Um, I had a friend who had the courage to come to me and say, hey, I see some things in you that are similar to me. He, he thought I had an alcohol problem, which I did, but uh, he, he gave me that number of a therapist. I went to the therapist, and she introduced me to SA, and, and for that I will always be grateful. But I came into my first meeting, and I immediately identified. I was scared to death. Uh, but I could identify with the folks there, and I said, um, you know, I need to come to these meetings. And I, and I did. I went to a meeting every week whether I needed it or not. I really did. Uh, and I hope you understand that that might have been a little bit of a problem, but I did go to a meeting every week whether I needed it or not. And I really didn't think I needed it some weeks. I mean, that, I was in so, my, my addiction, and I think David downstairs a minute ago talked about, or David Ames talked about it, the continuous drunk versus the periodic drunk. I was a more of a periodic drunk. I could I could almost white knuckle it and think I'm doing okay sometimes for a month, sometimes three months, and then I'd go on these binges. 
so it was really easy to see myself how well I was doing. And uh, I identified with it. I had some counseling and therapy, and I said, man, I've got this thing down. And I didn't act out for a year with no sponsor and going to one meeting a week. And I thought, the rest of you guys are really struggling with this thing, but I found an easier, softer way. Well, first of all, there was no there was no serenity. There was no peace. It was white-knuckling a lot of times, and it was more of an anorexic kind of approach to, to, to it than anything else. But since I had this year, I, I was bright enough to think, well, they said don't do anything for a year, then I moved away from Nashville. Here it was, the Mecca of recovery, and I left. And I went, to, uh, my wife was from this little town in Alabama, and I moved there, no recovery. I had to drive to Birmingham, and I was only going there once every two weeks. But within three months, I was acting out. And But there was something inside of me knew that I had to deal with this thing. So I went to, I went to treatment. And spent 30 days in a treatment center. I learned a lot about the disease. But my approach was, I'm going to fix this thing. You know, I, as soon as I get the right hook, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to be okay. Um, came out of treatment. Again, not much support. I'm living in this little town. I'm driving back and forth to Birmingham, Alabama, about an hour and a half away, once a week. Well, that wasn't enough. Within three months, I'm acting out again. And this cycle went on. I moved to Atlanta and finally came back to Nashville. This cycle went on, well, 10, 11 years. And finally, um, a, hard, a couple things happened, but Harvey had the guts one day. He was a sponsor for a period of time and said, you know, you just, you do not want to give up lust. And he was, I was so upset. I was so pissed off at him, you know. Here I am, man. I, at that time, I was really going at least three meetings a week, okay? I mean, I'm, I'm really working this thing. I'm calling a sponsor occasionally, um, <laughs> working some of the steps. Uh, but I wasn't willing to give up a lot of things where lust was working. I'll talk a little bit about that later. But uh, uh, so I was so upset. I showed him, and I went out and did, went for this big binge, you know, and uh, that, that, that helped a lot. Um <laughs> Then my, my, for me, what I did, but remember now, this is 10 years of three to six months of slipping, okay? Now, some of you are going to hear that and say, thank God, I'm not going to, I don't have to do that. Others are saying, hell, I got a long way to go before I get to your place. That's how I would think about where I was before. That, that, well, it'll kick in for me at some point. And, and you can think like that, but I suggest you call your sponsor. Because that, that's the kind of thinking that, uh, that got me pretty sick. I wasn't willing to do the things that people who had the sobriety were willing to do. But what I did do right is I kept coming back. And I've seen it. They keep saying, keep coming back till the miracle happens. And what happened for me is my dad got this disease. Oh, he was an active addict. But he had cancer and died within two months. Well, during that two months, we were able to make the amends. Do the, I mean, it was just it was a gift from God. But when I was looking at him in that casket, I said, he, I'm going to die exactly like, like he did, an active addict. And I'm going to miss a relationship with my children, my, my wife. I'm hiding. I'm living this double life after all these years. And I, folks, I could quote the big book. I knew recovery, but I wasn't willing to let go and surrender. But what I did right is I kept coming back. And by keep coming back, eventually I was able to surrender. And did it take all that? It did for me. Uh, does it take for most people? No, absolutely not. I see more and more people get this thing earlier because I think the reason is there's more sobriety now in our fellowship 
and and more people more willing and more willing to to to, to let go uh, quicker. I, I want to share a couple things though about uh, slips and relapses um, and and why I kept coming back because I knew that if I if I didn't first of all I really believed it was God's will that I get sober and then I knew that I, I couldn't be useful unless I got sober so there's something I just I know so many people who, who have left and and not come back As a matter of fact I'll never forget the guy who I used to call all the time I went to a meeting with him every Monday night he had four or five years sobriety he acted out um, he called me in total shame. I gave him what little I had, which wasn't much. I said, I'll see you at the Thursday night meeting. And he hung himself. He's, he's out of here, okay? He didn't keep coming back. Now, God used that for me to keep coming back. And I'll, I will, I'm not grateful that he killed himself, but I'm grateful that, that I was able to do that. Because I thought about that. I thought about running a sports car off the side of the road. My God, I can't get this thing. But what I did is I kept coming back, and I had to let go of the shame. I would come into a meeting and all that shame, and I want to talk about that a little bit. In the big book, it says um, in the, to the family afterwards, in the chapter of the family afterwards, cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the great, greatest possession you have. It's the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. And I've always wondered, you know, could I have had more to give this guy? Or And so the question is now, will I have enough to give somebody else the next time? And the only way that's possible is if I keep coming back. And um, and I think this this is this is a tough disease. I mean, I have seen in the, how many years, almost 13 years I've been coming, the, the chairs keep getting changed. I mean, <laughs> I Except for the people who've got long-term sobriety, just gets a rotating door. Now I think it's happening less and less because we're getting more sobriety. But if I can leave with anything, it's that, it's that simple. It's just simple. Don't, no matter what, keep coming back. Uh, Bill W. talked about relapses, and uh, two things I want to share with you. Then I'll, I'll I'll shut up and let you guys share. But he said uh, it, this was to the wives, or not, I don't know. He said it, it written it to the wives. Though it is infinitely better that we have no relapse at all, it has been true with many of us, of our men, is by no means a bad thing in some cases. Your husband will see at once that he must redouble his spiritual activities if he expects to survive. And then as Bill sees it, uh, a talk he gave in 1960, he said, Slips can often be charged to rebellion. Some of us are more rebellious than others. That was clearly me. Uh, slips may be due to the illusion that one can be cured of alcoholism or sexaholism. I believed that I could get a cure for this because I, I kept going to the therapist, the right treatment centers, and looking for the fix. Um, slips can be charged to carelessness and complacency. Many of us fail to write out these periods sober. Things go fine for two or three years. Then the member is seen no more. Some of us suffer extreme guilt because of vices or practices that we can or won't let go of. Too little self-forgiveness and too little prayer, well, this combination adds up the slips. Then some of us are more damaged than others. Still others encounter a series of calamities and cannot seem to find the spiritual resources to meet them. 
There are those of us who are physically ill, others are subject to more or less continuous exhaustion, anxiety, and depression. These conditions often play a part in slips. Sometimes they are utterly controlling. So I, what I have to remember is that I have a disease, and it's not about being good or bad. I have to let go of the shame. And the, and the only way I've been able to do that is I kept coming back, and I finally have been able to hear what Harvey's been pounding in. And, and I, I say him because I just hear his voice in my head so much. He's not my sponsor now, as many of us have. He keeps pounding into it. It's a disease. It's a disease, and it's not about sex. It's about lust. And it took me 10 years, or almost 11 years, to, to, to finally accept that. Now, most of you get that much earlier. I've got sponsors who get it right away, and they're ready to lay it down. But it's about a disease, and the disease uh, is progressive. And I have to let go of the shame. If I think I can control it, and that's what it is when I believe that I'm good or bad, that means I can control it, then I'm, I'm through. I, I, I'm really done. So for me, the, what, I, what I had to do, that redoubling your spiritual activities, I used to think of that when I needed to go to church more. But now what it meant for me was I started going to meeting almost daily at 6.30. I get on my knees in the morning and I pray, which I didn't do before, offer my day to God. Um, I call my sponsor. I used to call him every day, at least three times a week, early in the morning. I stay in touch constantly. He knows all the big issues. I do a reading, meditation. And, and uh, well, you know that commercial? I've done more before 9 o'clock than most people do all day. You know, they're, they're <laughs> on it. Well, that's me with my recovery today. It really is. And because I finally said, I can't handle this. That was my surrender. Um call a sponsor, I sponsor people, I work the steps, um, I, I, I take a lot of calls because it keeps me sober, I do service work, I finally embraced this program and made it mine, and I, I sat on the edges, I sat back in the back, I came in and out, nobody knew who I was, and slowly, 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 I'm letting other people know who I am. But that only happened, the only reason that I have any glimmer of hope is the only thing I did right during that decade was I kept coming back. And if I can leave with anything, that's, that's, that's my experience, strength, and hope, that don't leave before the miracle happens. And, um, and I've seen a lot of people with long-term sobriety who have slipped during my 13 years, but a lot, most of them have come back. And that takes, I, I admire the humility to come back and that complacency that I talked about kicked in, and I, I've learned from that. Thank goodness they came back. Um, so uh, that's all I have. I want to open up the meeting. If, again, if you'd share, if you would come up so uh, so we can uh, share our experience, strength, and hope for those who are here hear this tape. Thanks. Thanks, John. Thanks, Byron. I think it's just a regular meeting. Oh, it's a regular meeting. Yeah. Okay. I, th um, I don't know. I, I thought it was an open. No, go ahead. You, you, you answer. Okay. Um, I guess I'm interested in, because in, um, I'm, you know, I have about a 30 to 60 day cycle, and it's been, this has been like this for about seven years now. And um, in your own, uh, like, I don't know what it's like to be sober for more than two or three or four months. And I guess does your serenity level 
can you tell a difference today than when you were sober 18 months, or is it is there stages there that the serenity is deeper and the where you kind of recoil from lust, I guess, and you know what I'm trying to ask. Yeah, and some of you with some longer term sobriety that are in the room, please share. Please uh, jump in here. Uh, for me, the difference was when I was in my three, six, nine year cycle. It was. There was an element of surrender at times, but there was an element of holding on. You know, it was fighting it all the time. It was, because what I was doing is I was drinking lust in by massages. Regulars, uh, I wasn't willing to give up. About therapeutic massages were, were killing me, and I, and I wasn't I wouldn't willing to give that up. Uh, just glance, bathing suits, line, you know, soft stuff. And so I was taking the taking it. So there was never any real serenity during that that cycle because I was holding on. I finally when it was a, when I finally said it's the lust, stupid, <laughs> you know. And I heard that forever. I'll be lustaholics anonymous. Then a mindset change that whenever that comes into my head. And I, I mean, I listen. I still look. I still get. I still feel it. But it, I, it never becomes three dimensional anymore. And I just say the prayer that you guys have heard a million times. God, whatever I'm looking for in that, may I find in you. And if that won't go away, I'll make the phone call. It's like it's like it's poison now to me. And I just don't want it. Because I know where it, it happened so often for so many years and so long that I don't want it. So is there a serenity? Unbelievably. And that's only in a couple years. And I say after, you know... After even the first six months was different when that mindset changed. When I understood it was about the lust and not about the acting out, and then it just keeps, keeps getting better and better. Now, if right now I've been going through, I think my as my wife's pointed out to me taking my inventory how grumpy I've been lately. I've been in this little. I, I noticed myself starting to look a little bit more. You know, I called my sponsor and I, and he said, "Well, why don't you stay away from the health club for a while?" Well, I'm, I'm I'm willing to do that. You know, what I mean, but I, but I'm not. But even if I go there, I don't drink. I, mean, I don't take it in. I might look. I might be distracted. I might be uncomfortable. But but I, as long as I don't drink it in, I, I keep that. Low, I get that serenity back really quick. I mean, it's, it's a, within a day. Uh, so anybody else share their experience along the different stages of, of uh, sobriety and serenity? This tape recording can be ten days. <laughs> I'm Alan. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Alan. Hey, Alan. Um, when you thought when you, when you mentioned that, um, I thought of the line in the big book on '84 and '85 after uh, in the tenth step, uh, which for me is the big help. It says when we have ceased fighting anyone and anything, uh, even alcohol or lust, and. Uh, when I'm fighting, then then I'm not surrendering, and I'm not letting it go. Uh, and, and you know, I still want to do that, uh, and, uh, and and then I get disturbed. But but for me today, it's the level of disturbance that I'm willing to tolerate is a lot less than it was, you know, sixty days ago, nine months ago, a year ago. It's just a whole lot less. And now when it when that euphoric recall starts, it's it's you know, like it says in the next line, we will recall as if a hot, we were touching a hot flame. And that's where I get. But for me it starts with the trying to control 
not necessarily lust, uh, but other things. And then I get to the lust place. Uh, you know, if I'm trying to control other people or places or things, then I go to lust. I mean, for the past week, I've had just awful sexual acting out dreams. I haven't had those for six months. And it, and it finally dawned on me the other night because my wife and I are thinking about trying to buy a house. You know, I got all this other stress going on, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to manipulate and manage that process. Uh, and I've just got to give it up. You know, am I willing to engage in this transaction or not? Whether or not, you know, disregarding all the facts that, you know, well, I should feel this way or that way because my wife's willing to now do this with me today. I have to, I have to look at myself and say, what am I comfortable with? I mean, I've heard it lots of times. You know, this is a program of comfort. And, and whenever I get uncomfortable then I have to be willing to do something about it. And, and for me, that's whatever my sponsor says do. You know, and uh, he reminds me quite often that, you know, I shouldn't count on divine inspiration a lot. I haven't been at this God thing too long. And, uh, and he's right. But I, I have found that over time, you know, I can, I, that intuitive thought does actually come. Uh, you know, I had a sponsor very early on, and it was, it was just a blessing. Because, I mean, I, I couldn't go to the bathroom in a, in a public place without wanting to act out. Couldn't do it. But, you know, today, that's that's different. I can. I have boundaries. Things change. But uh, for, for me, it's that, it's that, that control issue. It's that uh, surrender. Thanks. Thanks, so. yeah. Come on, come on. Can I say something without going up there? I know, uh, because we'll be able to hear you. Sorry, I, I find yeah. Uh, okay. Well, okay. <laughs> I'm Richard, I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Richard. Hey, Richard. Um, a few, few thoughts going through my head. I was thinking of um, if I don't act out before um, June 22nd, I'll have 10 years. And, and in one sense, there's been a lot more peace and serenity. I mean, for the last 10 years, instead of uh, looking, always thinking and wondering and looking, how can I have sex? I've gone to thinking, how can I, how can I, uh, set myself up not to have sex and what a relief that is I mean that's what, what a change so much less anxiety but uh, I've had some close calls and uh, and just the fact that um, if it was always increasing 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 peace and serenity where's all the people with 10 15 and 20 years of sobriety I guess there's always going to be new tests. Uh, they say if, if we're not um, going away from a drink, we're going toward a drink. So uh, I guess I take that a person has to continuously make some kind of uh, spiritual progress. Not that I feel like I'm continuously making spiritual progress. I don't know how I've stayed sober almost 10 years. I'm, it, it, it just totally baffles me. But um, it, it's always a razor's edge. I don't think I'm going to act up today. I got no idea what I'm going to do tomorrow, and it's it, it's one day at a time. And I, I have had those close calls, um, 
I'm just I'm glad to be sober another day. I uh, I, I don't know what else to say. Part of what's this this thing's making me very nervous. I'll have to admit. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks a lot. Hi, I'm Kent, and I'm a sexual alcoholic. I can Again, and I'm a baby. I'm going to talk, Joe. i got to talk. Um, I'm 43 years old, and I've been sober four days, and uh, I need help. And I don't know where to go to get it. And um, Joe brought me, and I'm blessed for that. Um... I've been addicted for 30 years, and uh, it started with pornography and masturbation from the time I can remember. Um, in '99, it went to the internet, and uh, well, I got to start back before then because um, at the age of sin, I'm very nervous. I'm very afraid. <laughs> um, at the age of uh, uh, 13, I started having sexual relationships with women, and um, I continued that. I've continued that since till last week. Um, I'm going through my second marriage, and I'm getting ready to lose that one, and uh, I can't save it. And um, I think I'm just going to keep coming back. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks. This is it. This is here. This is Why don't we share um, one of the things we've learned by coming back uh, is is to share our experience, strength, and hope. We have somebody who's suffering, and the only purpose of any meeting is to carry the message to the person who still suffers. So, if somebody would mind sharing their story a little bit to give uh, Kent some experience, strength, and hope, I'd appreciate it. I'm Elliot, and I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Elliot. I don't know how much of my story I'll uh, share, but I appreciate you sharing. Uh, glad you came. It takes, takes a lot of courage uh, to do that, uh, to make it in these rooms for the first time. And, uh, and you know, you were asking where to go to get help. You're here. Uh, this is uh, this is where I found, uh, not this building, but... Uh, you know, SA in Nashville is where I got help. And uh, I think, um, I, and I shared this in a meeting yesterday, one of the things that uh, I had to come to grips with, and I don't know how come I learned it or why the light bulb went off, but I hear an AA guy uh, say this at a meeting I go to in Murfreesboro, but he says, uh, he says, I, I became convinced that there was no good drinking left out there for me, that, uh, you know, he used it all up. And immediately, you know, I knew, you know, that's the same for me. There's no good masturbating out there for me. And until I became convinced of that, you know, I don't think I don't think I could get sober until I knew that I'd used it up. And, uh, I remember hearing uh, someone in this program talking about early in their recovery, they had an abstinence period for about six weeks with their spouse. And uh, he said, came back to his wife and said, six weeks is up. It's time to have sex. And uh, and she looked at him with hatred in her eyes and said, I've had enough sex with you to last a lifetime. And, uh, you know, how true it is for me. I've had enough sex with me, much less anybody else, just me. 
to last a lifetime. There's nothing different, you know. There may be more illegal or, <laughs> you know, more quote perverted or I mean, but it's you know, I pretty much done it, pretty much used it up, and uh, until I became convinced of that, uh, I couldn't get sober. When I first came to this program, uh, I thought that I just needed to uh, stop masturbating. And, it just didn't work for me. I, I had to go back out and do some more research. And I don't know what, whether it was a graduate level or what, but it was. Uh, <laughs> I did some more research and went on the binge, you know, of, uh, of a lifetime. And really, what changed it for me was I was talking to a friend on the phone. And I've told this story a bunch of times, but you know, my big obsession was I wanted to live with it. I couldn't understand why I couldn't masturbate. Uh, I'd masturbated all my life. I wanted to masturbate. And uh, I desperately just wanted to hold that one thing that had kept me sane or happy or comfortable, uh, able to cope since I was four or five years old. I wanted to keep it uh, worse than anything. And I didn't understand why I couldn't do it and why when I did it, I felt so bad. Or I had to do it ten times or it led me to acting out with uh you know, people that I shouldn't be with and, uh, you know, using pornography. I was talking to a friend on the phone one night and he said, Elliot, you have, uh, you've always tried to live with it, but you've never tried to live without it. And it just, it clicked for me. There was no shame. You know, it wasn't that you're bad, so you have to stop or fear. Uh, you know, if you don't stop, this is going to happen. It was just a simple choice. Of, okay, I've tried it this way. Why not try it this way? You know, this way wasn't working. Try this. And, uh, you know, those words, you know, God used to help me. Um, but, you know, I really don't think, you know, just to reiterate, I don't think that I could, uh, I would ever get it, or I could get it until I realized that I, you know, I'd used up my masturbate and sex, at least to where it felt good. Uh, it quit feeling good, you know, at least for a second. It might feel good, but, you know, it quit. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of my take on it today. And, you know, one thing, too, that, that helped me early in recovery is I realized that it had always been a lie that I had to do it. You know, that there was a some sort of, that there were chemicals in me that, you know, had to be expelled, and I was told that by, you know, a Ph.D.-level psychologist, and he meant well, but that's what I wanted to hear. You know, I was, okay, well, got chemicals, got to, you know, <laughs> do my thing. That's what I wanted to hear. So, uh, you know, and I continued to do that for several more years after that, but I learned that, you know, it's a lie that I have to do it. It's just not true. And my sponsor tells me that the, the addict is just as smart as me, but it lies all the time. And uh, and that's one of the lies it told me, you know, like the top of my head was going to blow off or something if I didn't do it. And I just don't have to do it today. So for what that's worth, any of you guys coming in new, I hope that helps. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks My name is Don. I'm a sexaholic. I'm a real deal sexaholic. <laughs> I have data and files on me. 
um, at my therapist's office. Um, I'm uh, sober 47 days. Um, I'm one of the ones that have kept coming back for some reason. I've had periods of sobriety and then have lost it and, uh, and thought that, uh, that I could consume and take on lust without having to pay the price somewhere down the road. And uh, that's not the case. And um, it's, uh, I, I had to, to think about what Elliot was saying with his uh, PhD. I had gone to a holistic doctor about six months ago that told me that I needed to masturbate at least once a week. Well, hot damn, sound pretty good to me. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, it's, you know, you know, just for my physical well-being. And, um, you know, I thought if it would do the trick on Sunday night, then maybe we should try it on Monday, too, and see if that would even make it better. And shortly after that, you know, we were off and running again. And um, I was currently in a job where I was traveling, <clears throat> traveling a lot. And, um, you know, I started crossing some not-yet behaviors. You know, in all the years, I started acting out when I was, uh, I was four. I, I, I'm a sexual abuse survivor of uh, over 10 years. I should be dead in jail or dying with AIDS is where I should be. Uh, but I'm here, um, thanks be to God, uh, one day at a time. But I started crossing these not yet behaviors of, you know, I'd never been to a bookstore and I finally, you know, the curiosity once uh, was too great and I had to stop in Memphis and, and you know, confirm what I already knew was there. You know, just because it was there and I happened to be there and, you know, I had no accountability and, uh, and then I had never in all of the years of, a, of coming to SA, which had been eight years, um, you know, never looked in the yellow pages. I just wanted to see if there were male escorts, Joe. I, they always heard about the female escorts, but I just thought, well, maybe they are. Who knows? And there were, you know, and, um, and so, you know, uh, it was a moment of clarity where I had to quit that job uh, in February. I had to quit the job. I just couldn't travel because I knew where I was headed. It was, less, you know, inactive addiction. I'm fodder for my disease. It's like throwing number three jet fuel on the fire. And um, and I just say to, uh, uh, to, to Kent um, and for myself that... Um, you know, I think the biggest thing for me is the shame, you know, of having to come back and say, well, I'm, I've lost sobriety. You know, well, what are people going to think about me or, you know, uh, which is really none of my business, you know, what folks think about me. Um, I know that this disease will kill you. But, see, I have not been convinced that it's going to kill me. And I was around when Lonnie hung himself. And um, uh, I, I've seen the destruction you know, uh, in this fellowship in, in eight years that this disease has. And yet somehow I think I'm going to be immune because I'm not married. I don't have a family. You know, what difference is it going to matter? And, uh, you know, I've come to realize that, you know, my ass is worth saving too. <laughs> you know, um, so you know, one day at a time. Um, you know, I have never, you know, I've always said that one of the things I've only done right is to keep coming back. And no matter how many times, you know, I lose sobriety and, and I, I'm understanding the importance of, you know, what sobriety does. And even being sober 47 days, you know, some of the fog is lifting. Um, but yet, 
you know, I'm very sick. I, I had more sex uh, by the time I was six years old than most guys have when they're first married. And um, and I know that, that I've had a lot of damage done to this frame um, and my mind, you know, and uh, experienced things as a kid that uh, I should never have had to go through. And um, I, I guess somehow or another, um, God has helped me live through those days to get to these days to tell you that there is hope and there is, you know, there is the other side. Uh, and I just, you know, we have to just keep trudging the road of happiness. Just thank you. Ken, I'm Joe Sexaholic. I just want to share real quick, too. You know, if it was just about stopping the sex, uh, stopping the acting out, um, probably wouldn't do that. Okay, the negative consequences, yeah, they're bad, but that was the only motivation. Um, that that keeps me sober some days. But it's 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 the peace and the strength. It's a relationship now with children, grandchildren. It's waking up feeling like I'm not just a piece of shit. That that you know that I'm okay just for today. <coughs> It's, it's a life. We have something called the promises, and if we had them here, I'd, I'd read them to you. But most of them have, and we do have a big book. I, mean, I like to close with the promises that we could, Alan. Um, but most of those are starting to come true in my life. Now, so, so it's not that we just give this thing up and we think, how in the world am I ever going to give it up because I've been doing it for 30 years. You know, I've been, I, I mean, I identify with that, man. It's that we're going we're, we're, we're to, yeah, we're going to surrender that and withdraw not going to be easy, but we're going to enter into something. I have entered into something that I'm saying, gosh, if it keeps getting any better than this, I can't stand it. I mean, really, I was married, I'm married 32 years now, and my marriage was dead. I mean, it was dead. And we've got a lot of people who, uh, my wife, if she was healthy, should have left me. But we got that one back. We've had a lot of people who lost marriages in this, in this fellowship and then learn how to have a relationship. And as you as you heard of the guy earlier, uh, did, did David. So, uh, it really does work, and um, um, I hope you'll, uh, for me, it was a matter of going to a lot of meetings and just listening for a while, and, to, and just learning, and just being patient, because uh, you'll learn a lot, a lot of things there. So I, I really appreciate your courage to share that. Thanks, Thanks. We got a few more minutes, anybody else? At the end. I'd like to share, uh, like a newcomer's meeting, just tell your story real quick. I'm Bob. Hey, Bob. I'm Bob. And I'm a baby in recovery. Brand new. Uh, I never thought I had a problem. And uh, after my wife and family left about two and a half years ago, I figured, well, screw it. Now I don't have anybody else to be sober for. So let's get it on. And I gave myself completely over to my addictions. Thinking I'd I don't know what I thought. But I did damn well as I pleased. And then uh, got in another relationship that that I I, re, I re, rekindled a relationship that I had had 
during one of my many separations, and uh, this time it was different. Uh, I'd rather masturbate than be with my girlfriend. And uh, she accepted accepted me as I was, so I figured, well, accept me, accept me as I am, but that wasn't good enough for her, and uh, she wanted to go to couples there counseling, and I figured, well, you know, maybe, maybe it's not them, and uh, figured I'll, I'll give it a try to maybe have a chance at a relationship. One thing led to another, I wound up in individual therapy without her and uh, that was last August and uh, early on my therapist suggested <coughs> go to SA meetings my thing was internet porn I had I downloaded gigabytes of internet porn stacks of CDs this high Spent 12 hours a day, sometimes more, on my days off work, immersed in it. Um, he said, get rid of the CDs. And, you know, I had magazines and videotapes and all the other stuff, too. Get rid of the CDs. I could not even, I mean, I could not begin to consider the possibility of considering getting rid of those. Not even. I was. All my life was was uh, boozing and downloading porn and masturbating and going to work. Somehow I didn't lose my job. Somehow I kept up the the secret life and going to work and managed that. And. Uh, I don't know how the hell it happened, but uh, I got in a group, uh, I know this isn't essay approved speech, but I got in a group therapy situation. After two weeks, I was confronted by three of the members in the group. One of them said uh, he feared for his sobriety because of me being in the group. And I was pissed. Another one said uh, she was felt really threatened by my use of pornography. I never considered it hurting anybody else. Another guy said he didn't think I'd hit my bottom. Well, I sat on a couch thinking my life has no worth. If I die today or tomorrow... What have I left behind? And it was nothing. It was freaking nothing. Long story short, I went to a meeting and I did what the guy said. And that was January 15th. And I'm still celibate and getting sober. That's all I got. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Uh, is, is anybody, uh, Kent, do you have a sponsor here? I guess you just first meeting. Would anybody be willing to be a temporary sponsor for Kent? But just uh could you see him after the meeting, and he'll get your phone number, and he'll help you, he'll tell you where the meetings are, and, and, and get you going, okay? Anybody else who doesn't have a sponsor? They're willing to admit it. <laughs> I, would, I would admit it. 
I have a call there in the last uh, three weeks. Uh, that, for me, that was a big part of uh, uh, hiding hiding out was just not not using not using somebody else's program. Uh, all right, real quick, and then we're going to yes, close. Right. Uh, my name is Art, recovering sexaholic. Uh, I just want to share something that uh, if God shows up and points me in the right direction when I kind of drift the wrong way. Um, driving home March 6th from the Saturday morning meeting here, um, I kind of blacked out. I just I, would, I didn't pass out. I was not unconscious, but um, for a period of about a mile, mile and a half, um, I have no recollection of. Couldn't see anything, couldn't hear anything, feel anything, you know, none of that. And I got pulled over for a policeman, um, by a policeman um, for doing 90 in a 70. And he pulled me over asked me why he asked me why he stopped me. I said, well, I don't know. And he got pissed at that. And then he said, uh, uh, he said that. And then I said to him, um, well, I assume you pulled me over because you thought I was speeding, but I was only doing 75. And then he told me he caught me at 90. He got more upset. Um, but the thing is, after that, um, God's looking out for me. I could have killed myself or somebody else or whatever. Uh, and that got me off the road from being a dangerous person to other people. Um, and I haven't driven since I saw the doctor on March 8th. And he referred me to neurology and all that good stuff. And they're going to do tests. But the point is, um, having a car was a real key for me to being able to act out. I had mobility, you know. And I could go when people couldn't catch me and, you know, all that kind of good stuff. So um, I'm sitting at home because my wife's work, um, but I'm not acting out there either. I'm comfortable being at home. Um, and my last, the last thing I'm going to think of is acting out, you know, in any shape, form, fashion. Um, but there's just, you know, for everybody in here, you know, there's hope. And it comes from the least place you expect it, when you least expect it, at least in my experience. Thanks, That's Mark. it. Appreciate it. Oh, he closes with the promises. And I'm Alan, sexaholic. Yeah. I will say uh, for the newcomer that it, it does get better, and it's worth it. Um, these are the promises on page 83 and 84 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we're halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We believe not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Alan. Keep coming back. It works if you work, right? Thanks, folks. Thanks, Jeff. Maybe if you don't. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. How you doing?
I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.